All right, and you can take your seats. Uh, it is not Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but it's a Super Sunday for us, amen? It's always a Super Sunday when we're together with the people of God. Uh, next week is the Super Bowl. I, I, I know you, if you came in late, you may not have heard that announcement, but we're having a Super Bowl watch party in here, so you're more than welcome to come. Um, yeah, as our presider Seho so graciously uh, stated, uh, whoever you're cheering for, you're welcome, but can we just, real quick, show of hands, I'm cheering for the Rams. I want the Rams to win the Super Bowl. Okay, good, good. That's less than half. Okay, I- I'm cheering for the Patriots. Yeah, Patriots. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's crazy. How many of you, I don't care as long as it's not the Patriots. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Praise God. All right. The Super Bowl is, well, this is like as high as you can go when it comes to sports. Um, people say if there's some great event, they say this is the Super Bowl of whatever it is. So the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl of football. It's the highest thing. It's as high as you can get. It's what every football player dreams of doing to one day hold up the Lombardi trophy for those who have won the Super Bowl. This is a huge deal. Uh, so you, you can imagine if you're a coach, a football coach, and you've got a team. You've got a football team, and oh, you got like some... Somehow you got shot by an opposing team's arrow or something like that, and, and, and you're about to die. The one thing you say to your team is, just win the Super Bowl, right? That's your dying wish. I don't care what happens, just win the Super Bowl. That's what you want. That's your desire because the Super Bowl is the most important thing. That's it. When the clock hits zero on the Super Bowl as we're watching, the most important thing is that your team has more points than the other team. That's the only thing that matters. I don't, I don't want to... Uh, belittle those of you who are, I know that, that's obviously how you win a game, you have more points than the other team, but a lot of times, a lot of times, it's almost as if we focus on things that are less important when it comes to matters of life. Uh, A losing team, a team that loses the Super Bowl, they would never say, hey, you know what, even though, yeah, we can see that they have the trophy, they won everything, but it's all good, you know why? Because uh, we threw for more yards than the other team did. Right? No one cares about that. That's an important measurement, important statistic, but that's not everything. The most important thing is that you got more points than the other team. No one says, oh, you know what, they, may, they might have won, but here's the deal. We're the real winners, right, because we had better uniforms than they did. Right? No one cares about that. Or we punted more times than they did. That's inconsequential to what matters at the end of it all. Nor, neither is it important to think about the individual accolades. Yeah, we might have lost a game, but, hey, you know what, our quarterback... He wears Uggs, like he's so cool. Like, no one cares about, or hey, you know what? Hey, uh, they might have won, but our quarterback is dating a supermodel. Nobody cares about those things. The only thing that matters in the Super Bowl, well, in all things football related, is that you have more points at the end of the day than the other team. And every player and every coach knows that, and everything that they do goes towards scoring more points if you're on offense and preventing points from being scored if you're on defense. That's all the game of football is about. And everyone who plays the game is crystal clear that that is their mission. Not about how many yards you put up. Not about how many touchdowns you score. Not about how many tackles. It's that we win the game at the end when the clock hits zero. That's what matters most. And every football player knows that. When it comes to matters of spiritual life, It's important that we remember what matters most. Last week we said, hey, let's remember that the most important thing to an individual, okay, to us as Christians, is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and that we love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That's the one thing that matters. We could be good at a bunch of other things, but if we don't have that love in us, then everything again gets multiplied out by zero, and we've got nothing at the end of it all. Today, I want to talk to us not as individuals only, as individuals definitely, but as a church. What matters to us 
as a church? What is our mission? What are we supposed to be about? What, when the clock of life hits zero on us as a church and on our lives, what is it that really, what does it mean for us to score more points than the other team? What does it mean for us to be victorious and to be successful? There's no guesswork in it because a lot of times what we do is we look at other people as individuals and as a church, we look at other people to see what matters to them and falling in love with what they fall in love with, we end up being distracted from the thing that really matters. And so today I want to bring us back on track, not by looking at what other churches are doing, not about the awesome things that are going on in the church down the road or the church across the nation, but what's going on according to Jesus' words. What is it that we ought to be about looking at the words of Jesus? These are not the dying words of a coach, but the final words of the authoritative King of Kings and the Lord of Lords from Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. This is called the Great Commission. Um, This is the greatest commission. If you were to be commissioned by the president of a nation, of a, by the king of a kingdom, to anything, you would consider that to be such a high and noble calling. But here's a commission from the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the master of life and death. And Jesus gives this commission to his church. This is the word of God for the people of God, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey Everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Amazing commission here. As you look in verses 18, 19, and 20, you'll see that there are three verbs here. Okay? It says, therefore, go okay, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Four verbs here. And if you look at it, if you read it in our English context, it looks as if all of them are being commanded of us. Okay, he's talking to his disciples who would then go and start churches. His mission to church planting disciples is fourfold. But in the context, if you read it in its original language, only one of these words is an actual command. Everything else is a participle that explains how you're supposed to go about doing the one thing that really matters. Some of you may have heard this before. Some of you, this may be new to you. But let me, I I just want to see if you're paying attention. Four verbs here. How many of you think that the main verse, the only command in these verses is to go, right? Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. How many say go? Go, this this is the main, this is the command here. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller, okay, okay, maybe a couple of us here. How many of you think, okay, the most, the, the, the command here is to make disciples, okay? How many of you say the command here is baptizing them? Okay, how many of you say the, the command is teaching them to obey? Okay, not many of you guys really participate in this activity. <laughs> Slightly discouraging. Uh, I hope you're awake. Four verbs here, okay? We'll do this again. Until everyone participates. I'm just kidding. Okay, four verbs. Okay, four verbs. The main one is, we'll, we'll see this in a sec. Two thoughts here. Here's the first thought. Here's the first thought. If we're not making disciples, parentheses, who make disciples, then we're missing the point. If we're not making disciples, and the way you know that you're making disciples is that those disciples that you think you're making are also making disciples, then we're missing the point. Four verbs here. The only command here, Jesus says, is, therefore, church, (laughs) make disciples. You want a blueprint for that? Here's how. By going, by baptizing them, and by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the picture of a disciple. And when that's done, they will then go and they will continue that process and that cycle with other people. Can I ask a question? Is making disciples at the forefront of your heart as you think about the mission of the church. Because a lot of times, y'all, we can get excited about things that are important but are not ultimate. Hey, you know what? 
Our offering is going up. Hey, this is good stuff. Hey, you know what? That person's going to becoming a child of God class. You know what? That person's getting baptized. You know what? Hey, these, this is exciting stuff. We got more people coming out. Hey, we had more people than ever come to prayer meeting. You know what? We're having more people than ever come to house church. These are all good. But they fall short of what Jesus is calling us to be as a church. And if we, ce- we have to celebrate those wins, legitimate wins. But we cannot stop there because that's not what Jesus is calling us to be and to do as a church. It's a truncated understanding of the mission. If our main goal is let's see people come to house church. If our main goal is let's see how many we can get at SNF. If our main goal is let's see how many people we can baptize. Okay, these are important and we need to, but they're just one step in the process. The end goal is to make disciples. Okay, that's the end game. And that's what it means to win the Super Bowl at the end of the day. And if we're not doing that, then we've missed a point. Can I ask you to imagine with me, say you've got um, a sandwich shop. Okay, you have a sandwich shop. We'll call it uh, Sarah's Sandwich Shop. Alliteration works always. Sarah's got a sandwich shop, and she makes some amazing sub sandwiches. Oh, my gosh. It's like really good sandwiches. But one day... She hires a friend named Seho and says, Seho, I heard that you're really good at making cookies. Can you make some cookies for me? And so Seho makes these cookies, and she says, wow, these are great. Maybe I can make money off of these cookies. And so she puts them on the counter of Sarah's sandwich shop, and she begins selling these cookies. Wow, these cookies are really good. Uh, but, you know, it, Seho made them so uh, that people don't like them and they get rid of them. And, and, and one day Seho's like, well, you know what, maybe, maybe, uh, gosh, down by, the, uh, down by the beach, there's, I saw some beautiful seashells. Maybe, you know, he's feeling a little bit bad about them, so maybe I can pick up some shells along the beach. And, and, and he brings them to Sarah and says, hey, why don't you sell these at your, at your store? And they're amazing shells and everybody loves them. So people start buying them up. And in time, those shells that he picked up go viral. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, where did you get those shells? And they see Sarah walking on the beach, and they say, she sells seashells by the seashore. They're like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And so everyone wants a little bit of these shells. And so in time, the shells become so popular that she's like, this is, a better, this is better for business than making sandwiches. And so she stops making sandwiches, and she begins selling seashells only. Can I ask you a question? If Sarah's sandwich shop no longer sells sandwiches, but she only sells seashells, can Sarah's sandwich shop still be called Sarah's sandwich shop if she no longer sells sandwiches? If a church is doing a bunch of things great, but they're not making disciples, can we still call them a church? I'll tell you what I think the answer is by Scripture's definition. I don't believe it's possible, but let me tell you what I think is an answer based on anecdotal evidence. Our senior pastor, Inky, when he was here after a number of years, uh, he saw the church that he was at way back in the day when we were at our old building, and he read this passage, and he said, wow, the mission of a church is to make disciples. And he asked, where are the disciples in our church? It's like, this is not a church. And so what he did is he went out to the street where the church sign was, Korean Presbyterian Church of Orlando. And I don't know if this is true anymore because it's kind of like a rolling story gathers moss. It's kind of like that. It's become almost legendary, mythical. Uh, the story goes that he took, a, he took a saw and he cut the sign in half. Uh, and he said, we're not a church, so we cannot have a church sign because we ain't making any disciples. He said, can a church be a church if there's no disciples being made? And so he broke that sign in half and said, we'll just be Korean Presbyterian until we start making disciples. I don't know if that's true, but I think the sentiment is spot on. If a church is not making disciples, then it's not a church, at least not in the eyes of Jesus. You can dress it up however you want, put as many signs and accoutrements around it, but if it's not making disciples, then whatever that is, is not a church. How do you make disciples? He gives this threefold process. He says, go, 
baptize them, and then teach them to obey. Okay, that's what the process and the cycle of discipleship looks like. If you can imagine, if we're a football team here, okay, if we're a football team and you got a bunch of people on the stands and they're watching us and they're cheering us on, here's what a disciple is. He says, therefore, go. That means we break out of this huddle and we go to people who don't belong to our team. Okay, that's people who don't know Jesus. We go to where they are. And then we tell them, hey, you can be part of this team. Let me tell you how amazing it is to be part of this team. Let me tell you the rules of the game. Let me tell you the good news. And once you become, once you say you want to be part of the team, we're going to give you a uniform. That's baptizing them. And they go from bystanders and they become members and they become active participants in the game. And you know that they know what it is to be part of it because they not only read the instructions, they know how to play, but they actually play the game, and then they bring other people into the game as well. Okay, that's discipleship. Therefore, go. make And as you go, make disciples. How are you going to do that? By baptizing them and teaching them to obey. I want to break this down a little bit for us here. What does it mean to go? He says in, in, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Verse 19, therefore, go. The word go has two senses. It can be one of two things, and this is... All of us have been called to one of these two senses, and maybe some of you will be called to both. The first word, go, it literally means, as you're going, make disciples. Here's what that means. It means wherever you are, you are, maybe not in the mission field, but you are on a mission. Okay, that means wherever you go. Means when you go to your law firm, you're on a mission to make disciples. When you go to your workplace, you're on a mission to make disciples. When you go into Teague Middle School, you're on a mission to make disciples. When you go to Cypress Creek High School, you're on a mission to make disciples. Wherever it is that you go, you are living on a mission. You're looking out to see how can I make disciples. I'm going to where people are. And, and we've all got people like this who are not part of this team here, not part of the family of God. Going means you go to those people because your life is lived on purpose, intentionally, on a mission, because you're hoping that you can cure their sinful condition. Somehow and in some way, that's your aim and that's your goal in life because you're living a life intentionally. We have a group of people who work for this, uh, this startup that's kind of growing. It's called Open Door. And we've got several people, uh, Matt Lim and Chanu Park and Michelle Shin and Yoongyung Lee, Jenny Moon. Uh, Kenny Cook, a bunch of, bunch of these guys who work at Open Door. And when I talk to them about what it's like to work there, um, I always ask them, hey, Matt, how's Michelle doing? How's Chanu doing? How's Kenny doing? How's Yung Gang? How are these people doing? And they always say, this is what every one of them says. They say, oh, you know what? People at Open Door really love blankety-blank, him, her, this harvester, that harvester. They really love them. And why do they love them so much? Because they're awesome at what they do. Because they do it with integrity. Because they build relationships. Because they care about other people. Because they're invested into the company. Because them being excellent, they realize that they're not just working for a paycheck. All of them realize that the five, six of us are in here in open door and we are opening doors to the kingdom of God because we understand that our lives are being lived on mission for God wherever we are. That wherever you are, your life is being lived in. My life was changed. Because at the University of Virginia, there was a graduate student who believed that he was at the university not just to learn and get an education so he could get a job, because he saw that his purpose there was, I am on mission in the mission field of a college campus, and there are people with whom I want to make disciples because that is my mission and my calling as a church person in this life. And my life was changed because I saw this man of God living his life intentionally on mission for God. I run into Kenny at a, at a basketball game last week, and he's like, yeah, I'm here with my coworkers, and he's telling me, these are the people that we're trying to invite to come to church. And we see ourselves, and they've got, a, they've got a purpose, and they've got a passion, because wherever we're going, we're living on mission for God. That's all of us in here, intentionally living in mission. That's what it means to get in the game. But others of you will hear this, and you'll say, man, I cannot help but feel the call of God to go. I've got to go. I've got to go somewhere. I want to make disciples of all nations. I, can't, I, I need to go. 
God, if it's Afghanistan, God, send me there. If it's North Korea, God, send me there. If it's China, God, send me there. If it's Ecuador, God, I just, I just need to go. And you feel this burn in your heart. And you cannot sit still. For you, the call of God to go means you got to go. You got to go to the nations. And you feel that within your heart of hearts. And you cannot shake that feeling. But this is the first step. You go, the ultimate goal is you connect with people and they get into the body. That's the first thing. But a lot of times we get content with just having somebody come into our church. You know what, they're here. And we celebrate that, which again, we ought to. But that's not the end. That's not the end. That's just the first quarter. You're winning the game at the first quarter, but there's still three more quarters to be played. What does it mean? He says, therefore, as you're going, hey, make disciples. How are you going to do that? As you're going, as you're living your life on mission. One of our house church shepherds, James, said this week, he said, I remember a few years back when a guest preacher named Dave Choi came and he preached, and he asked us to dream. What would it look like if every single one of us invited and prayed this year for one person to come to church this year? Just one person. What if all of us in here did that? It's one person. That's my, that's one part I can play in fulfilling the mission of God here at Harvest, here as a church. One person. To go, right? As you're going, we're making disciples. But the second step, step in that journey is not only to go, but it's to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is where they put their trust in Christ. They put on the uniform and they stand up and say, I'm fighting for Team Jesus now. It's interesting, right? Some, uh, some time ago, um, a bunch of little girls, uh, my daughter Manny um, and a couple other girls, Evelyn and Emmeline and, and Ella and some other girls were, were talking about baptism because their little siblings were going to get baptized. And one of the girls said, what does it mean to be baptized? What is baptized? And this little girl, Emmeline, said, it's when Manny's daddy pours water on your head. <laughs> That's what she said. That's part of what happens in baptism, but baptism is a sign and seal of God's covenant grace on a person, meaning I've understood the grace of God, and I'm standing to declare that I have decided to follow Jesus. That's why we bring people to church, not so that they could sit in these plush blue chairs, (laughs) and meet some wonderful people, it's so that they might be brought into the family of God. And putting on the uniform of Christ, they could stand and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, there's a uh, city called Chengdu in China. Um, there's a restaurant here named after that that's kind of blown up. And maybe you'll go there. And I pray that as you go there, that you remember what's happening in the city of Chengdu in China right now where hundreds of believers are being rounded up from churches like the early rain church and being thrown into prison. No crime committed, not in the eyes of God or most sane people. The only crime being that they follow Jesus and they bow the knee to Jesus and have not pledged their allegiance to the Chinese state. And they're being tortured for their faith. They're being beaten for their faith and they're being separated from their families. When they enter the waters of baptism, it's not some splish splash, I was taking a bath all about a Saturday night. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, I'm not going to look back. I'm going to go through suffering. I'm going to go through persecution because the cross ever before me. The world is behind me. I'm not going back to my old life anymore. When it says, when they say, I am going to step over the line, they're saying, hey, I've made the down payment on my life already. If they take the rest of my life, it's because I've already given it when I entered the waters of baptism. I'm not doing this in order that uh, I might please somebody at work. I'm not doing this in order that I might get the benefits of church membership. They're not. They're saying, I'm ready to lay down my life for Christ and his cause. That's baptism. Saying, and, and when we do this in Ecuador, as they go into the waters and as they uh, are finished with the baptism, immediately those who are watching sing together with the baptized, I have decided to follow Jesus. 
many of them with tears in their eyes because they fear the ridicule that they will face in their school as young schoolgirls. Some of them saying, I will be disowned by my family because I'm going to follow Jesus. But they do so with tears, not of sadness, but tears of comfort and joy and worth because my Jesus is worth it. And though my family on earth disowns me, I have a new family here and for all eternity. Baptism is the second part of making disciples. But once they get baptized, that's only half time. We've only made it halfway. Right? We celebrate those wins and, and, and we absolutely must. But to say, okay, they've been baptized, that's it, we can let them go. That's no, 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 no. He says, it's all about making disciples. So what's the third step in that? He says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them. Here's what a lot of people think, guys. Here's what a lot of people think discipleship is. A lot of people think discipleship is, okay, once they get baptized, then teach them. Get them in a class and just start pouring knowledge into them. Get them in systematic theology. Get them in a seminary course. Get them in all of these classes and pour that knowledge into them. Jesus didn't say that. It's not bad, and it is actually important to do those things, but that's not what Jesus said. He said the final step of discipleship in this, par- in this paradigm is teach them to obey. <laughs> because you and I know how easy it is for us to be taught in here and then not do anything about it. That's not a disciple. A disciple isn't someone who comes into church and listens every week and listens every week and goes out and and does whatever they want to do. I cheat on my test. I'll do things that I know I ought not to do. I'll curse out my friends. I'll cheat at work. I'll cheat at school. Whatever it is, I'll cheat on my taxes. I'll cheat on my boyfriend. Whatever it is that we do. He doesn't say, hey, hey, just teach them, teach them, teach them. That's a disciple. As long as they know they're a disciple. No, 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 no. He says, teach them to obey. That's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple does. They obey the word of God. That's why, listen, can I, can I be frank with you for a sec? If all you're doing is coming to church on Sunday, I think it's really hard for me to say that you're a disciple of Christ. Unless you get into a community where you can really live this out. I don't think the rhythm of life is just, hey, come on Sunday, hear something. you got to get into accountable relationships. House church, you live that out. They force you to live it out. They press upon you. They pray for you. They carry your burden. They say, how are you going to live this out? And they challenge you to do it. At SNF, when you go to our youth gatherings... There are people who hold you accountable. You talk about what you learned at the retreat, and there are people who ought to be holding you accountable, telling you how you, hey, how are you doing as you seek to live this out? Because what we do when we gather as the people of God is we hear something. What are we hearing? We're hearing from the Word of God, but every preacher knows you've got to not only understand the context of Scripture, you've got to understand the context of people. So as I meet with people and as I hear, house, read, uh, hear from house church shepherds, these are the things that we struggle with. Thinking about these things, then I bring those thoughts into my study of the Word of God and into my prayer and say, Lord, show me what it is that Harvest needs to hear. Not what people out there, but we need to hear. And then we bring the biblical answers. How does a gospel play out in these things that you're wrestling with in life? And then we go back down and we say, hey, this is what I talked about. This is what he talked about. DL talked about. How are you living this out? And I say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And we find answers, we find hope, we find healing, because discipleship isn't simply teaching, it's teaching obedience to Scripture. And so our instinct, our impulse should be, as soon as we hear the Word of God, the question is, how do I live this out in my life today? Not so that I would be taught, but I'd be taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. But once that happens, guys, if that's you and you're living out a life of obedience and faith, you're not walking a life of discipleship unless you're giving your life away to others and you're helping others to repeat this cycle. Right? You do what God says. You do what Jesus says. You've gone through three quarters, but the Super Bowl has not been won yet because to make disciples in Jesus, again, talking To his disciples. He has discipled them. And he's saying, this is what it is to be a disciple. You go out and you repeat that process with other people. 
A disciple is someone who does these things, and so by doing so, they cultivate this kind of a process in the lives of other people as well. And Jesus says, okay, our aim, our mission is not just to make disciples of a small group of people. It's to make disciples of the nations. You start that process as you're going, when you come in contact with all of these people from other nations who come to our congregation. You do that as you interact with Disney interns who come from nations for six months at a time, and you bring them into your house church, and you go to them, and you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey so that when they go back to Thailand, where they go, when they go back to Mongolia, when they go back to Malaysia, they will then continue that process with other people to make disciples of the nations. If we're not making disciples who make disciples, then we're missing the point of what it is to be a church. It's the first thing that we see. First thing that we see. Second thing that we see here. It won't be easy, right? Anything great is hard, okay? Anything great is hard. So remember his promises. This is the great commission. (laughs) Okay, this is not the good commission. It's not a good commission. It's not a great commission. It's not a great suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not a great persuasion. It's the great, the great commission. The greatest commission that anyone could receive in this lifetime. And because it's great, not going to be easy because anything great requires effort, requires sacrifice. There are people who say, hey, you know what, DL, I really want to grow. I want to grow in my faith. I admire the faith of the Chinese believers. I admire the faith of our missionaries who are in places of persecution. I want to be like that. So what do I do short of going to those places? So here's one thing you can... The upshot is you got to live a hard life. Don't ever pray for suffering in your life. Don't do that. But you put yourself in places of difficulty and challenge. Here's one way you could do that. February 4th to February 24th, we're going through a Daniel fast. I know you love to eat meat. You love to eat candy. You love to eat sugar. You love to drink soda. A Daniel fast is going to require you to give up all of these things and media, social media as well for the sake of knowing Christ better. My suggestion, if you want to grow, to become strong in faith, is that you go through this Daniel fast with others in the church. Ah, oh, <laughs> yeah. But that's really hard. I love steak. I love, Roy, I love Burger King. I Roy Rogers. I love Burger King. I love McDonald's. I love Wendy's. I love my BMWs, right? I love those things. Of course it's hard. Anything great is going to be hard. You want to be great at anything, it's going to be hard. We don't do the the Daniel fast because it's easy. Hey, guys, let's do something easy together. Call it it this ministry program, and yeah, we're going to really grow together. No. That's silly. The reason we do it, the reason we challenge people to do it, the reason it's difficult is because on the other side of it, you will be strengthened in order to, every time you do something hard for the sake of the gospel, you wake up early and you make it to morning prayer meeting. Ah, but I'm not a morning person. That's why it's even better for you. You stay up late praying. Normally you only pray 30 minutes, you pray an hour. That's double what I pray. I don't know if I can do that. That's why you grow through it. Anything difficult that you do, it builds strength within your heart, within your soul, so that you become strong, so that you can go and you can fight against the enemy. Of course it's going to be difficult. Of course it's going to be hard. But you want to be great for anything, it's going to require sacrifice. There's a process that's involved. Think about this process. Therefore, go. Go to where? Go to people who don't even believe in Jesus. What's the end goal? That they become disciple-making disciples. That's going to take forever. (laughs) That's why it's called the Great Commission. 
You cannot make a disciple in an instant pot. We want to. But it's a process. Of course it's going to be difficult. Of course it's going to be hard. Think about Jesus. Here's Jesus. Three and a half years he spent with the same group of people. That's less than one presidential term. Three and a half years he spends every day with them, and you think he did a good job? I'll tell you what, on the last day of his life, well, the next to last day of his life, one of those 12 betrayed him and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, you know what, you're right, because I thought it was 12 disciples, but it says 11. Yeah, because one sold Jesus out, and then he killed himself. Okay, we're down to 11 now. 11 people. Did Jesus do a good job? Because on the day of Jesus, the last day of his life, 10 of them put their tails between their legs and they ran off. We don't know who he is. What do you think it was like for Jesus to hang on a cross with only one of his 12 there to die with him? Ah, but then Jesus rises from the dead in power, in victory. See the scars, it's really me. Jesus, the conquering king. And they see him, they're like, oh my gosh, do you think then they would be changed? You would think so. Look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. (laughs) They still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Three and a half years plus for Jesus, and these are the cats he's working with? You think it won't be difficult for us? Of course it's hard. That's why it's the Great Commission. But you know what? After having been with, with you all for as many years as I've been able to, one of the things that I've privileged to see that people who come in don't get to see is I get to see what someone like Seho was like before he became who he is now. I look at him and I say, man, there's a God And he's real. Because he and I entered Orlando at the exact same time, 2001. And he was a shadow of who he is now. In fact, he was the opposite. He was a fighter of the things of God. But God grabbed a hold of his life and he's making disciples of nations now. I think of, I mean, I I could go around this room. Think of somebody like Haley and her husband, Chris, who they were before. And, and to where they are now, the people that they are. I, I mean, a countless people. Matt Lim shared his testimony with us a few weeks back. Story of God's grace. How many, how many, how many tears do you think were shed for the people whose lives have been changed here? How many, how many People whose knees are no longer able to run and jump the way that they once used to because they fought on the mat for souls like these. How many people who have aged prematurely because they've been fighting for the souls of people within our congregation? You tell them it's easy. They'll tell you, no, it's not easy. It's the hardest thing in the world, but you know what? It's the greatest thing in the world because it's the greatest commission that I could give my life to. This is it. This is worth giving our lives for countless people in our congregation. I could go on and on and on and on. This is what God has called us to. Yeah, it's going to be hard. And you know what? Because this is the greatest commission, the greatest thing we can give our lives to, and all of our energy ought to go to this. All the energy of Satan fights against this. He doesn't care about the parties that we have and all the... This is where he fights to keep you from going to keep you from baptizing, to keep you from teaching them to obey. He'll get us distracted by many other things, and he'll fight tooth and nail, though, against the making of disciples within a church. One of my, uh, one of my colleagues in, in ministry, he posted this on Facebook the other day. He is doing a, uh, was running a, a conference just like we did, our Korean congregation did, to raise up house church shepherds and to teach them the ways of God. And he said that the, the, the first day of the conference, as people were coming in, he was going to early morning prayer and his battery died. 
and he posted a picture of his battery, and he said, that's what he said, and he said, exactly two years ago, when we were doing this same conference, I got a flat tire on interstate whatever, whatever on the highway, and he said, Satan is fighting against us. God must have amazing things in store. This is going to be a great week. I love it. Love it. He's saying, not today, Satan. You ain't going to beat me because my gaze is fixed on Jesus and the great commission that he's given to us. Is it going to be easy? Nobody said it was going to be easy. Is it going to be great? Oh, absolutely. This is why we have Saturday night fellowship. This is why you teach Sunday school. This is why you teach our children's ministry. This is why you have house church because you're, you're making disciples. There's a reason why, guys, not many churches are willing to fight and labor and sacrifice the way our house church shepherds do because it's hard. It is hard. But, man, when these shepherds get to heaven and you ask them, was it worth it? Every meal that you prepared, every prayer that you prayed, every call that you took, every counsel that you gave, every time you listened, you loved, you prayed, was that worth it? to see what you don't see, what you didn't see in that moment. He said, man, if I had a thousand lives, put me in coach, let me do it again. It's going to be hard. So we have to remember the promises. Because you see, Jesus didn't just give a great commission. He bracketed with a great claim and then with a great comfort. And this is what we need to focus on as we live life. What is a claim? Look at what he says in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is mine. Therefore, I send you out with this commission. If, if, if indeed what Jesus says is true, that every all authority is his, then he could ask of us to do whatever. And we'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. But our challenge, our problem, is that we have a difficult time understanding the nature, true nature of authority. At least, at least I do, and my family does. In my, in my home, I have this idea in my mind that all authority in heaven and on earth in this house has been given to me. Ha! Therefore, whatever I say goes. Yeah. So little minions of mine, you are at my beck and call. So little children, go and brush your teeth. Yes, Daddy, right away. Little children, go make Daddy some pizza because I'm really hungry. Yes, Daddy, what toppings would you like on it? Right away, at your service. Little children, go and, and bring me slippers because Daddy's feeling cold. Yes, Daddy, which ones would you like? At your service, it is my pleasure. That, that's what I think authority is. Yeah, all authority been given to me. Therefore, listen to what I have to say. But the reality is, hey, kids, hey, go brush your teeth. Ten minutes later, kids, daddy said, go brush your teeth. Guys, how come you're not brushing your teeth? What are you doing? Go brush. Don't let daddy get the stick out. And then finally they go. That's authority. Like, man, they got no understanding of authority. I have to, hey, hey, how come you guys are not sleeping? Why are you still, it's been an hour. Why are you still talking? Daddy said, be quiet. I said, if you don't be quiet, then daddy's going to come in and sleep with you. Oh, daddy, we don't care. We're just not tired. We'll do it later. That's their authority. I'm like, man, and that's, maybe that's why I have such a hard time understanding the authority of Jesus in my life. But here's what Jesus says. He said, that's not the kind of authority I have. Listen, when Jesus walked on this earth, he would go, even people that didn't seem like they were under his jurisdiction, the demons, he would say, hey, demon, leave this person alone. They didn't say, oh, Jesus, are you serious? Come on, man, we kind of like it here. At the mention of the name King of Majesty, bam, they're out. When he, Jesus, all he had to do was walk by them, and they're like, son of David, please, please, we beg of you, be kind to us. He, the rain, in the midst of the storms, major squall, major waves, all of this stuff, wind howling, like the stormy, something inside, but the... All of these crazy nature phenomena. And Jesus says, hey, shh, be still. 
and the rain stops. People who are diseased, Jesus just looks at them and the diseases run away. This is Jesus. This is his authority. He speaks the world into being. That's authority. Did Jesus have authority? He had authority. Why does he say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? Because he's saying, even with all of that authority, the Father sent his Son on a mission to rescue sinful humanity. And as he did that, in conquering over death and over sin, this is what Jesus did. He had all authority, but he laid it down and became subject not only to the forces of evil and darkness on the cross, but he subjected himself to sinful human beings who nailed him to the cross in order that we might be forgiven of our sins, of our rebellion, of our lack of authority, so that by grace we could be brought into the family of God. Jesus subjected himself to, and the one who knew all, who had all authority became subject to every authority. And he says, by virtue of me conquering over sin and death, now all authority by virtue of me finishing the mission of God, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. All of that so that disciples would be made. And he come, and it comes with this amazing promise that wherever you go, right, wherever you Wherever you go, he says, and surely, verse 20, I'm with you always. Wherever you go, whether it be to a prison in Chengdu, whether it be to a cubicle in your workplace, whether it be to the locker room in your school, whether it be to a hostile family situation, wherever you go, when you live on mission for me, to make disciples, I will be with you. How long? When does that expire, Jesus? I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Not just when your life is done, but when all th- until the very end of it all, I'll be with you. And listen, understand this, guys. The more you are committed to living in the commission and the purposes of God, the more you are committed to living a great commission lifestyle, the more your life is set on making disciples, the more you're committed to going to baptizing people and teaching them to obey, the more you will experience the authority of God and the presence of God in your life. Now, these prisoners in China are saying day by day, though they're being beaten physically, they said there is an unspeakable joy and a peace in their hearts because they're sold out for the sake of this great commission. Right? This is what it's all about. This is what the church is all about. This is why we exist. We call it making disciples. We call it Christ-centered leaders, whatever you call it. Christ-centered leaders are following Christ and they're leading other people. It's following Jesus as a disciple, bringing others along as a disciple. This is what it means. This is our calling. And when we give our lives to this great, 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 greatest of commissions, his power, his presence, his comfort will be so near to us. That's his promise. And this is our call. Let's pray together. As you hear this great commission from our King Jesus, let's take a moment to pray. The Lord Jesus loves to pour his Holy Spirit radically and powerfully, his intimate presence so deeply and so personally and so acutely on those who would align their lives and their purpose with his. When you say, God, here I am, ready to live out a lifestyle of the Great Commission, I'm going to live on mission And if you call me, I will go to the mission field. We live this kind of a life. Then the power of God, the anointing of God, the fire of God falls and descends upon your life. You know the nearness of God in a way that you cannot understand in moments of ease and convenience and comfort. So as we discomfort ourselves so that others might find comfort, Let's pray, Lord, I want to live in order that the Great Commission would be fulfilled through my life. I want to be a disciple maker. Help me to begin by going 
And if you're already going, then say, Lord, help me to continue by sharing the gospel, bringing people into a gospel conversation. If you're already doing that, then Lord, use me as a disciple maker to teach people to obey. Let's pray for a few moments right now as we respond to the word of God, committing our lives. Lord, I, would, I don't want to, at the end of the day, say, I had the cleanest uniform of all the players. We're going to get our uniforms dirty, bloodied, muddied, so that we can say, I gave my life so that we could win the game at the end. Let's pray together for a couple moments. I'll pray for us after that, and we'll continue to worship the Lord and respond. Father in heaven, thank you. A lot of times we run through life wondering what's it all about. Trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning. Trying to find validation for our existence on this earth. We thank you that you've made it clear through the words of your son, Jesus. This is why we live. This is what we're to be about. Don't need to doll it up with bells and whistles. Lighthouses don't ring bells to call attention to its shining. They just shine. That's what you've called us to be, a light under the world by living a great commissioned lifestyle as a church. That you would help us to make disciples and make that our chief enterprise as we go, as we bring the gospel so that they might be baptized in order that they might be taught to obey everything you've commanded we go in the authority of Jesus and we go in that great and glorious promise that surely you will be with us to the very end of the age. Lord, may we discomfort ourselves understanding that the call is hard because the joy is infinitely greater. Help us to see that, to believe that, to cling to your promises and to live for your glory. We thank you so much. We love you, Jesus, because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.